this afternoon to the book of Proverbs, book of wisdom. We continue our topical studies in Proverbs. Proverbs also lends to a good, what we might call the potpourri uh, series. There are verses that have not been covered under the topics that we've been studying. And um, we could cover quite a few under that potpourri, am I I, uh, pronouncing that right, series. There are verses that stand out on on their own, not necessarily in a particular, uh, at least the topics that are found in this book. Chapter 3 of Proverbs, commencing at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Let us pray. Help us to study your word, Lord. We pray for the guidance of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Very delicate subject, uh, but very timely one. Proverbs and drinking, the topic of um, strong drink, wine and strong drink, and its control. This is of certainly universal importance because it's not just our country that has the, the problem of drunkenness, but it's, a, it's a, a universal sin, and we certainly need to... Uh, to heed the Word of God and its warnings. And there are quite a few in the book of Proverbs. Now, you know that this is a free Presbyterian church and uh, we do have um, the distinctives of the free church. We have what's called separate under the gospel, which uh, helps people to understand the origins and the, the, uh, uh, the distinctives of the free Presbyterian church, whether it be of Ulster, of of uh, Nepal or of North America and hopefully soon to be uh, of Mexico. The free position is almost uh, three quarters of a century old as far as uh, the position regarding abstinence. Uh, ministers and of presbyteries and members of churches uh, are voluntarily abstaining from alcoholic beverages or as we want to say non-medicinal alcoholic beverages and we believe it subjects our liberty in the area of non-morals to our testimony in this dark uh, and this drink sodden and drunk laden society some might say it isn't volunteering with a tongue in cheek Uh, aren't people forced well they're not forced to become members and covenant members of the church we would agree that uh, we would not say that, that people who exercise temperance in that realm 
are necessarily sinning against the Lord. Now, there are people on both sides. There are people that believe that the Bible does not recognize uh, alcoholic beverages. But, and then there are those that, that do believe that, that it was fermented wine and the alcohol, though the content was much lower than today, uh, still there was content of alcohol in what is known as the strong drink in Proverbs and in the Old Testament. Um, the strong drink is probably referring to something not made from grapes, but from grain and maybe other fruits. But it certainly did not have the content that alcohol has today, especially like whiskey or spirits. But I want to take the side of acknowledging that um, that wine is has some uh, fermentation to it. Uh, it's not exactly grape juice. Uh, the fruit of the, it is the fruit of the vine. But I'm just going to take that side and just. Um, and seek to unpack these thoughts from Proverbs. Now, I just read a text that likens God's blessing to full uh, and increasing wine presses. Um, wine would be the fermented fruit of the vine. Now, again, there are those that argue it's simply grape juice, but um, that's another discussion, not for a brief message like this. But wine is said to be the uh, to cheer the heart of man for instance. And in chapter 9 and verse 2, it says that it is wisdom's ways to mix her wine. Now, again, there's argumentation, was the wine mixed with water to reduce the, the uh, alcohol content or was it mixed with spices to spruce it up? Um, we, can, we can convince that the content was minimal um, in the old days but perhaps they even reduced it even further to uh, prevent the likelihood of drunkenness or the possibility of drunkenness. Chapter 9, verse 5 says, Drink of the wine that I have mingled. So wine is an illustration of blessing and of wisdom's profit. Uh, That is, um, wisdom is is saying it gives discernment and instruction and wisdom. And... uh, it's, it's saying it's using wine as an analogy of of uh, wisdom. Drink of the wine or the wisdom that I have mingled, and so it, it is given in a positive light in the early part of of Proverbs. But again, it 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 it, it is also given in a negative sense, at least in the analogy, though. Uh, we understand what it says. In chapter 4, verse 17, it speaks of the bread of wickedness and the wine of violence. Now, bread and wine were very common um, drinks and food of consumption on a daily basis. There are some societies that wine is still a common drink at the meals. But so when it says that these sinners are... are uh, enjoy the bread of wickedness and the wine of violence it's saying that sin wickedness and violence is as common to them as bread and wine are common to people to consume in other words it's the daily diet of sinners to be wicked and to be violent they they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence but still wine is pictured here as a common um, drink um, and 
in, in, in a controllable fashion. But like any good thing, wine and strong drink can be indulged into idolatry and sin. And that's the main warning of Proverbs. Too much bread, obviously, uh, if you take something good like wine, results in gluttony. Now, gluttony, I think, is a respectable sin, like pride, maybe, and like worrying in the church today. Um, There are a lot of obese and sometimes very obese ministers in the pulpit and and, uh, members in the church and members in the pews. And uh, I'm working on it. Because, again, it can be a respectable sin. And my wife is, is helping me. And uh, my doctor is, is, is giving advice that I need to uh, have smaller portions. But it's a matter of controlling anything good. It's not a, an immoral subject as far as wine or bread. It's non-morals. But Paul said... All things are lawful. That would include, of course, bread or wine or um, playing pool or uh, hunting, we might say. Now, again, people have differing opinions on those, but generally speaking. But I will not be brought under the power of any. That's one um, test of your area of liberty. Does it control you? Can you say no to it? Can you walk away from it? Or, and he also gives two other criteria. Uh, all things are lawful, but all things do not edify. We have to ask the question, not, not just, do I like it? Can I do it? But what, will, what effect will it have upon my brother and the Lord? What, what effect will it have on my neighbor, upon my loved one? So we ask more than just about me, myself, and I. And then all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient or necessary. So the Lord gives us three criteria, even in the realms of liberty. And the idea of expediency, is it necessary? Is it the best use of my time? Is it something appropriate? So those are pretty hard tests, aren't they? And they kind of reduce a lot of our areas of liberty. So too much wine in the Bible obviously warns us about wickedness, the wickedness of drunkenness. Um, And again, just like obesity and gluttony, um, drunkenness can be a respectable sin. Not so much the drunkenness that is so overt and obvious, but uh, I wonder how often Christians drink to the point of having a buzz. Um, And and, uh, they they don't excuse that. And yet that is, to me, at least the the, uh, the the foothills of drunkenness, if you will, and I have not had a, a drink of alcohol other than medicinal alcohol. I still uh, Nyquil is is now sickening to me because it has um, high fructose corn syrup, and I can't take that as having diabetes too. But um, it's been, I think I was eighteen or twenty, my last drink, so. If you know my age, it's been it's been at least 40 years since I've taken a drink. So, I, but I know I can remember the effects that it would have. I can remember how much I had to drink to get a buzz, and how much I had to drink to become inebriated. And I, I I'm I'm not proud of my past, but 
the Lord saved me. I wasn't saved till I was 18, and and uh, He gave me victory. But um, the Lord gives us all kinds of red flags in the book of Proverbs, and we looked at, in chapter 20, and uh, we see the warning, and it continues into chapter 21 and chapter 23. And, uh, and then into chapter 31. So there are quite a few verses. These are not minimal. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Now, he's putting up the danger. Solomon's putting up the danger signs here, the red flags. What does it mean? Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. It's telling us that's the, that's the result of too much wine and too much strong drink. And if you're deceived, you're not wise. You'll find out quickly how uh, easily you can get drunk. Just ask Noah. I don't think Noah meant to get drunk. So way back early in the history of the Bible, and again, the Bible does not reveal the drunkenness of Noah and the drunkenness of Lot to make fun of Christians, but to warn believers that we can fall now, we might say, well, we can understand Lot. He was a weak believer, but Noah was a strong believer, and look what happened to him. He knew what the effects would be if he drank too much fermented uh, grape juice. But we have warnings early in the Bible and, and late in the Bible. And we see here in the Book of Wisdom the warning about the effects of wine and strong drink if we go too far. And everybody, well, it's well known that that you know, some can take a little bit and be affected a lot. And some can take a little bit more. So obviously, um, a person who is taking the liberty of wine and strong drink better know uh, their limitations and better err on the safe side, is it not? But it's saying that um, wisdom is saying... There's a, there's a point where the consumption of these beverages has a uh, stopping point. And beyond that, a person begins to embarrass himself and, and hurt others. The potential for harm is here. Wine is a mocker. The drunkard, it's well known that drunkards mock things that are even holy and decent. And the warning is sometimes believers, if we go too far with something we can also trespass in the area of, of religion and spiritual things. Just ask Aaron what happened to his sons Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu presented strange incense and the Lord struck them down. And the instruction the Lord gave to, Noah, or to Moses and Aaron was uh, be careful about strong drink. And so we, we infer from that that Nadab, Nadab and Abihu were probably drunk. And look what, look what happened. They, they, they became flippant in the things of God and, and offered strange incense. And so let's take heed. Let's, not, let's take the warning that Paul said, If any man thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. And then it talks about raging. That's, that's even, even more serious and we know too much uh, the result of drunkenness in bar brawls and, and uh, contention and fighting and, and gunshots and murder and 
all of this can result from drunkenness. And the police are terrified of having to go to uh, domestic arguments, realizing that most of the time there's drinking involved, and uh, their lives are certainly always in, in, in harm's way uh, when they're having to visit a house, especially in the evening when drinking is at its peak. So even believers who are drunk may become irreverent and provoke the Lord and become dangerous to people. And uh, there are Christians. They were Christians when they got drunk. There were Christians when they murdered. They were Christians when they hurt people. They're in jail because of a foolish decision to imbibe, to indulge in strong drink. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians. There were some Corinthians that went to the Lord's table and became inebriated with the wine. And what happened to them? The Lord struck them down. He, he chastened them to death. So, look at that in, in 1 Corinthians 11.21 sometime. And so it's a serious thing. We find it in the best of God's people and in, in, and in the weakest of God's people. Now, strong drink is, is mentioned, I think, 22 times in the Bible. And 20 of the times, it's, it's always coupled with wine. And so, we're not talking about wine and whiskey when it talks about strong drink. Whiskey and the spirits were not invented, I think, until the Middle Ages. It's talking about something other than from, from grapes. It's probably talking about what we would say is our beer today, um, made from grain or other stronger drinks that have alcoholic, alcoholic content with other fruits and I'm not necessarily aware of other fruits than grapes that can produce um, alcohol maybe you are maybe, it, maybe, you, maybe you can pr- produce alcohol from cranberries I'm not sure or I suppose any fruit can ferment and become um, harmful to, to believers. But the Bible warns about the potential for drunkenness, the potential for boisterous behavior and loud talk, uh, winds a mocker, the potential, potential for uh, the loss of self-control. And the Bible says that, that temperance is a fruit of the Spirit. And so when you lose self-control, you're not under the influence of the Spirit, you're under the influence of, of a foreign substance. And Scripture saying, stop being deceived. Be not drunk with wine. And so, you know, whosoever deceived thereby is not wise. He's, they're warning us about self-confidence. Oh, I can do it. I can handle the drink. I can, ha- I can drive. You know, that's when, that's when the Bible speaks about he, that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble, and the proud's going to fall. And let us always say, oh God, help me always be under the control of the Spirit and have the fruit of the Spirit. Now, obviously, um, the potential is not as great with bread as it is with wine. But again, we don't want to um, minimize the sin of gluttony. Now, I understand you know, people say, well, gluttony is at the, isn't at the top of the vices. But neither is drunkenness. But we find drunkenness quite quite often in the vice list. But the Bible does speak against gluttony. Uh, 
worshipping among wine bibbers and gluttons, for instance. And even though Eli's sin was his his failure to teach his boys the fear of God, the Bible does indicate that when he fell over, he broke his neck. And just just as a, as an aside, not necessarily because it was because he was obese that he fell over. Maybe he did, but it says he was a very big man or whatever. And and of course we know the. The Moabite king uh, was uh, one that, as someone said, frequent a lot of the Moabite buffets. And uh, when when the, the, the uh, judge sunk his, his dagger in the man's uh, belly, he couldn't find it again because he lost it in, in the, um, the folds. So we don't want to have, you know, again, there are people that are obese because of health, ill health or because of sickness, but we want to... We need to pray, Lord, help me to have every fruit of the Spirit and not take any sin uh, lightly and and pray that God would remove not just the great sins, but the respectable sins as far as God's people are concerned. Drunkenness itself is a danger. It is sin. The Bible teaches that it is a vice. It's a breach at least of the sixth commandment. Uh, thou shalt not kill. We, we kill ourselves with a bottle as well as with a fork. And, and uh, it's obviously the liver can be affected greatly. And many, many people have died because of excessive, excessive drink and drunkenness. The man who owned the parsonage before we moved in there died at a very early age because of, of drunkenness. But... Um, it also leads, as we looked at in chapter 20, verse 1, to other sins. It leads to um, lying. It leads to uh, um, lust. And we'll see that as well in chapter 23. But wine, whining and dining is something that the Bible warns us about too. That the spirit, the love of such things. Look at chapter 21 and verse 17. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man, and he that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. Well, someone might say, well, wait a minute, doesn't God say we can take pleasure in His blessings and, and His creation? And uh, doesn't He say that, that wine cheers the heart of man and, uh, and oil, you know, olive oil is, is a blessing uh, if it's used properly and it's, it's mixed with food? Yeah, of course. But notice what it says. He that loveth, loveth. That's the key. Now I know sometimes we use that word. I love ice cream, or and, you know, I know people who say don't use that because it, you got to distinguish. But we understand what that means. Um, I like ice cream, but ice cream doesn't like me anymore. And so, when have I had ice cream? Oh, I've had an ice cream cake. I'm glad a birthdays only come around once a year, but. Um, Obviously, those some of the things we like uh, become, you know, dislikes because they're harmful. But we, it says, "He that loveth pleasure shall not be rich; he that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich." So, drinking is associated with the high life, uh, even more so than dining. But dining and whining—you've heard that expression, whining and dining. We need to beware of the high life, loving that kind of lifestyle. 
And we understand it's normally associated with people with a lot of money and people that are important and in Hollywood and and uh, uh, just just uh, the, the political scenes and all the, the feasts that they have at the White House and so on. Um, but um, we we need to be careful to be humble people and living living under the radar of the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and just to be simple, loving, humble people um, enjoying our food and enjoying our drink with moderation and with humility and respecting the likes and dislikes of others not forcing our preferences upon others and, and uh, vice versa. The Bible says here that if you, if you love this lifestyle, you're, you're in, in danger of impoverishment too. He that loveth an oil shall not be rich, shall be a poor man. Uh, so it indicates that you could, you could become impoverished by a lavish lifestyle. It costs a lot of money. You, know, you hear people when they're, you know, when they're drunk, I'll, uh, the bar's on me or the drink's on me and they spend their whole paycheck not just even on themselves for a night but on the whole, whole crowd in the bar and, and so, many, so many different uh, stories about men and women spending their paychecks the, the, the night of the day that they receive them. And so we need to be frugal. We need to be people that prepare for the future and think about our children and grandchildren and, and be careful about uh, lifestyles and spending uh, that would become sinful and hurt others. Now this is obviously the personal observation of Solomon. Now you say, well, it's not a, that's not a, a, a categoric statement, isn't it? Not everybody that loves wine and oil and pleasure is impoverished. Matter of fact, there are a lot of rich people that remain rich. Well, he's observing a generality. And we ought not to think that generalities are not helpful warnings. So just because uh, the Hollywood people... Well, you, how often do you find, by the way, how many Hollywood stars have children that commit suicide? How many wealthy people you know, have children that commit suicide or die early? And I'm not saying Christians don't have suicidal children and children that may die early and problematic families. Just saying that it, it goes, you know, you, the high lifestyle, you have all kinds of risks. And instead of being examples to your children, you're leading them down the road of ruin and endangerment. And so they key to the Word of God that, that to love this kind of lifestyle to make it a lifestyle rather than just a, 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 a regular diet or just a, a time to sit around a table and have fellowship. There's a big difference. Now, young people are obviously warned, especially, look at chapter 23, verses 20 and 21. Notice in verse 19, Hear thou my son, 
and be wise and guide thine heart in the way. So here's a, a parent, father, mother, saying, Be not among wine-bibbers and among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and the drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. And so here are young people especially being warned about leisure and laziness and bad company. Be not among, among wine-bibbers and riotous eaters of flesh. So, just like it says in Proverbs, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but he that a companion of fools, it's foolish to be lazy, to be drunk, a drunkard, to be to be uh, a glutton. Uh, the Bible says we're talking obviously people who have this as a way of life. It's a description of who they are. Um, it's not just a random thing. We all err, we all fall. A righteous man falls seven times and rises up again. But this is a lifestyle. We we we, we plead with our children: don't get in this highway. It's a highway to ruin. It's a highway to hell to be among wine-bibbers and, and drunkards. And sluggards are in that same category. Uh, it says here that you tend to become, uh, what's the word, sluggish when you're, when you're getting drunk, when you're overeating and you just, your health, starts to drop and you become sluggish and you sleep more and, and therefore you're not as diligent to look for jobs and not as faithful in your jobs and not increasing in your capacity to have a, a job that can provide more when it's needed for a growing family or for a marriage when you get married. So all kinds of, of reasons here. Avoid the bar scene. Avoid the tailgate party that's going on today in uh, what two stadiums throughout in the United States. Uh, so sad. We, we, for 20 years, handed literature outside Bill's Stadium, and I wouldn't doubt, I might be exaggerating, maybe I'm not, I wouldn't doubt that half the people were inebriated. And what shocked me, I guess it shouldn't have been because I'd read, read the Bible for many years, it shocked me there were so many women that were drunk. But then the Bible does speak about um, um, men and women who fall to this sin. But the father would say, My son, you can almost hear the pleading. And it is the tendency of young people to, to the excitement of the high life. And even the neighborhood frenzies can be a problem. Um, but it's a tendency to young people. And again, I speak from experience. You know, so many young people in the schools today. Just can't wait for the Friday and Saturday night scenes of just hanging out in a bar and holding a drink in your hand. And in my day, it's you know sitting at the bar and seeing the dance floor and the smoke. You could smoke in those days inside the bars, and you know going to someone's house and partying. I'm thinking, you know, and now obviously, but you know the Lord used used the frustration of that kind of life to to get my attention. And you know, I'll be brief, but in, in, on Sunnyside, of all names, on Sunnyside in Morgantown, West Virginia, there were several bars, and you just go from one to the next and uh, see people that you knew from class and so on. And, but on Sunnyside, I'm drinking, uh, and sit, I'm sitting at a bar and looking out, people dancing and smoke. And that moment, it was about 12.30 in the, in the, in the morning, 
it just came, what am I doing here? Kind of reminds me of what the Lord said to Elijah. What doest thou here, Elijah? And I'm thinking, this is a waste. This is a waste. What am I doing with my life? There's got to be more to life than this. This was my conclusion. And I just left and started hitchhiking. And the, first, and, the, and the guy picked me up and preached to me. Talk about the grace of God. But how many people just continue that life? And that would have been me continuing that lifestyle until I married some drunk or married someone and, and hurt my marriage, wrecked my marriage or wrecked my children and wrecked my job and you know just wrecked so many people. God in His mercy saved me at 18 and delivered me from such an, an overindulging life. But I know what it's like, and I can say to our young people today, it, it'll ruin your life. And, and it, it, it cost me testimonies. I, I was inebriated when I was trying to get in my house on Hopper Road in Syracuse at 1 in the morning, or 2, or however late, early it was. And I'm thinking I'm getting in without Mom and Dad knowing it. And here they come, standing at the door. And I was so shocked, I just fell over and just was on my back on the sidewalk looking up at him and my father saying to my mother look at that Nada look at that you talk about a scar to my heart that I'm thankful for today oh don't put don't 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 get scars that I carried with me and I carry with me even today may God prevent you ever from getting on that highway to ruin so the parental instruction is crucial and it is the responsibility of us parents to warn our children about the high life. And I'm not necessarily saying stop drinking at all. I know that's that's not the position of many believers, but I'm saying plead with your children. Plead don't be going to these bars and these these parties and these this high life and the friends that do that that drink and get drunk and and then there's, of course, all the other dangers of marijuana and drugs that go along with the high life. Oh, that we would pray and fast that God would deliver our children and grandchildren from this kind of lifestyle that dishonors the Lord. Chapter 23, verse 22. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. So, this is right after the, the, the section we just covered. So, parental instruction, I'm trying to say, is crucial. And, and we pray for listening ears, listening hearts. And my father and mother would certainly, especially my mother, she wasn't a, a drinker, um, would certainly warn us. And uh, I just have some very bad memories. Uh, and I'm grateful my dad got saved and the Lord delivered him from the kind of lifestyle that he had but did he know any better and so on it's just like everybody's repeating what they're seeing and it's just the life in the public schools and not just the public schools but the private schools and may I say the parochial schools but even in homeschool uh, groups there are, are th- those kinds of dangers and so in every case, we need to be careful where our children are raised, who we defer to to teach them, and what crowds they. That we, you know, there's a point obviously that we have to let them go, 
and they make a decision on their own, but we hope that we bring them up in the way they should go, that when they are old and they're making their own decisions and are out of the house, that they will remain in the ways of the Lord. That is our plea. Has our child seen us drunk, buzzed? May we repent. May they forgive us. Have they seen us gluttons and slothful? May they forgive us. But may we seek the forgiveness of God and ask that He would give us sincerity to our repentance that we will forsake our sins. And like He said to the woman, give us liberty. When He said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. I don't see that as a scowling from the Lord. I see that as, now that I have forgiven you, now you have power over your sin. You can now resist it. More dangers of drunkenness chapter 23 commencing with verse 29 what a this is some say this is a song I'm not going to try to sing it but who hath woe who hath sorrow who hath contentions who hath babbling who hath wounds without cause who hath redness of eyes they that tarry long at the wine they that go to seek mixed wine look not upon the wine when it is red when it giveth his, his, his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, that I think is the wording when it goes down your throat, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, thou shalt say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. My last verse is a glutton for punishment. Repeat all over again. Isn't that the lifestyle? You get hangovers on on Friday or Saturday and Sunday mornings, and you get right back up and went and the next Friday and go back at it again. Slaves to misery, but more dangers of drunkenness, indulging in alcohol. Carrying long is the idea. Going to seek mixed wine. It's purposeful. It's, it's a, a habit. All oh, the woes of, of this kind of lifestyle. Woes would speak of worry, ill health, death. All oh, the sorrows, separation, divorce, church discipline, the loss of testimony. All oh, the contentions, the family strife, the marital strife. All oh, the babbling, the loose language, the dirty jokes. The redness of eyes, the bodily functions are, are harmed. Wounds without cause, the accidents, the physical harm, the fisticuffs, the fights that go on. Oh, the bite. Now this is compared to a snake, a snake biting. Hallucinations, hangovers, and habits. Those three H's toward the end. They begin to hallucinate hallucinate strange women and, and as you see here that, that his eyes will behold strange women his heart shall utter perverse things you have hallucinations and you have dreams of, you know, of, of things that are immoral and things that are harmful obviously in the multitude of business is dreams if you're going to be getting drunk and on drugs and, 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 and harming your mind and your, and your body you're going to have nightmares. And obviously, this transposes into 
adulterous behavior and and uh, all kinds of immorality. And it's, it shows the red wine as if it's if it's a if it's a, a mesmerizing thing as you see the red and the, the, the glare in the cup. So you have the hallucinations and worse. You have immorality. You have blasphemy. You have embarrassment of all kinds and begin to slander and become perverse. And the discomfort, the dizziness, the ache that is explained here um, in, well, especially chapter 30 or verse 35 or verse 34, it, 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 it just picture yourself lying down in the midst of the sea and you're just on the waves and just it just seems like there's there's a, a never-ending um, movement. Obviously, it's talking about the dizziness that goes along with drunkenness. And um, as someone that lies down upon the top of a mast, it might be referring to the crow's nest and, and the, the danger of falling out of it, but someone, some said that the wording there is someone that's lying on a rope. And it's very discomfortable. And drunks will do things that are very strange. I mean, they'll lie on things that you and I would never think about lying on uh, because they're just so exhausted or they fall asleep. So they're lying on uh, um, a hard table or they're, they're lying on, on uh, furniture that it doesn't fit them. And I don't know how else I could, I could describe it, but I, can, I know that these are the kinds of things. I remember waking up in a strange place and I'm lying on the floor. I fell asleep on the floor. What am I doing here? How did I get here? And just the danger of it all, just the discomfort and the hangovers, the headaches and the hurt that you cause your family and your friends and your loved ones. The addiction, the habit, I will seek it yet again. It's just a misery, uh, a miserable lifestyle. Company, you know, misery loves company. And misery just likes misery. A miserable person just seems to just return like a dog to its vomit, to its misery. And so you see here the song of the drunkard, the song about the drunkard. And it's not a song that's, that's uh, favorable toward excessive drink. And then in chapter 31, a mother is pleading with her, her son who's a king the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. And uh, she, she indicates that she has the right to advise him. She calls him, notice she goes backwards, you're my son, you're the son of my womb, and you're the son of my vows. In other words, she got married. Uh, marriage is a, is a vow, marriage is a covenant. She had a child, um, and then now she, he's, his, he, he's her grown son. In other words, she's pleading with him. I have leverage to advise you to give not your strength, first of all, to, 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 to women. Your, your ways to that which destroys kings. Be careful about morals. And, but notice she goes right into the wine, which is going to be, be effective in leading him to be immoral. 
It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for presses, uh, princes, sorry, strong drink. And so, you know, obviously people come here and say, okay, this is a case for abstinence, but then there are those, those that will come here and say this is a case for temperance. And we can, again, argue until the cows come home. But he says, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. So she, she, she warns him. At least we can say she warns him of drunkenness. Again, we can argue about abstinence versus temperance. She's warning him about inebriation, about too much drink. And I, you know, there are those, again, that argue, is this talking about, in verse 6, uh, medicinal alcohol, like when they had Surgeries on the on the battlefields during the Civil War, they would let they would get these patients drunk. That was the way that they could they could uh, in, you know endure endure the the, the uh, viciousness out there and the, the, the cutting off of the limbs. Give strong drink to him that was ready to perish and wine unto those be of heavy hearts. Now some also come from the from the angle that it's it's sarcastic. That, that uh, his mother's being sarcastic, that what he really should be doing is, verse 8, open your mouth for the dumb for the cause of all such as appointed destruction. Open your mouth for the cause of the poor, verse 9. Are you following me? Shows he's actually saying, you do what you can. If you're going to be a drunkard, you're not going to help the poor. You're not going to help those that are, are miserable. You're not going to help those that are down and outers. You're in a position to help the, the weak. And, the, and, the, and those that are despised. And there are those that argue that if he's able to give people drink, he must have a wine cellar. So I'm just taking the devil, devil's advocate at that side. But uh, it's certainly not for kings, especially for leaders. And we would say pastors and, and leaders in churches to be um, temperate, for sure and abstinent perhaps and and I would certainly encourage such a thing for leaders you can't get drunk if you don't take the first drink and you know people with tongue in cheek would say you can't be a glutton if you don't eat a piece of bread but it's a lot more dangerous to be drunk than it is to be a little to be obese but having said that there are different kinds of dangers so it may be a euphemism here a sarcastic response but um, I was reading some history of the U.S. and the word for teetotaler T is for capital T for totaler so total abstinence and that word was originated in the 1820s and this is a statement that I found and it may be able to be proven that after prohibition ended drinking in moderation became more popular. In other words, people were either drinkers or they weren't. And again, I, I'm not, I didn't live back then to know that, but we certainly understand the medicinal effects, the stupefying effects of, of alcohol. But we also have other ways, the, the, uh, um, we call the anesthesiologists for surgery, for misery, and so on. But could I... I have the liberty, obviously, as a, as a minister in the free church to plead for abstinence. 
um, for, for these reasons, to never be able to, to, to not worry about ever being on the highway to ruin. Um, there is a precedent in the Bible. The Nazarite um, was, was commanded to, be, to abstain from wine and alcohol. Obviously, it, it, he, the point was to demand sharp discretion between good and evil and so on. But nonetheless, the point is made. Um, if you never get drunk and never, but you'll you'll be you'll have distinct uh, discretion and wisdom. John the Baptist was told he wasn't going to drink neither wine nor strong drink. So I guess we could say we're in good good hands or good company. And um, Andrew Bonner back in the 1800s was a teetotaler. J. Vernon McGee was reading his commentary. He pleaded for abstinence. Um, President Trump was an abstainer. He know he knows what happened to his his brother, and sadly speaking, I guess I guess it's sad because when I think of the Mormons, I think that the Mormons won't play any games on Sunday, and yet we have all kinds of Christians that are playing games on Sunday and, and watching games and attending games, and Mormons won't drink alcohol. That's just a rule on their part. Now they won't drink coffee or tea either and I disagree on that end for sure but um, what am I trying to say the Lord did not condemn the Rechabites because they abstained from drinking um, the fruit of the vine so they obviously abstained from drinking alcoholic beverages and you can find that in Jeremiah 35 I'm not going to read that passage now people will argue well his, their ancestor um felt that they should not build houses and they should not plant vineyards. Well, they go together. But the point is made that it wasn't a moral issue. It was a non-moral issue. And it was a voluntary issue. They could have probably left the family of the Rechabites if they wanted to and live differently. But Jeremiah was told by the Lord Jeremiah 35 Jeremiah was told by the Lord to uh, to go over to the Rechabites and set drink before them and we would look at that if we read it for the first time as if the Lord was saying you're legalists and it's time for you to to uh, to loosen up a little bit and start drinking and and he didn't you know they said no we've we've made a covenant we're not going to drink alcoholic beverages and and uh, the Lord commended them. He did not condemn them for that as He was condemning His people for their disobedience to His laws when the Rechabites followed one of their ancestors' laws and God commended them for it, for their faithfulness. And uh, the free church, for various reasons, have, have advocated abstinence in our leaders, in our, in our members. And I just want to read a a brief portion to give you an understanding of that. We understand we're going to be labeled as legalists, and I hope you realize that um, it's it's not because we feel like we're gaining points with God or earning eternal life uh, by being abstainers. But uh, just a few thoughts under the the, the section of abstinence in our uh, blue book, separated into the gospel. Most people who agree with us on the foregoing matters yet disagree with our standard of abstinence 
from the non-medicinal drinking of alcohol. They argue that wine was used by God's people throughout biblical history and that it is therefore wrong to impose a standard of abstinence on our church members. Impose is not the right word. We are a fellowship of people who voluntarily abstain from alcoholic drink. Those who wish to be communicant members with the right to vote and, in the case of men, be voted into office obviously must agree with voluntary abstinence. Several reasons are given. We abstain for testimony's sake. Number one, leaving aside the considerable exegetical controversy as to whether the Bible does in fact sanction the use of alcoholic drink, there is good reason for the temperance stand. This is a case where our abstinence is a step to protect our testimony and enlarge our usefulness and gospel witness. Our country is sinking in an ocean of alcohol. This is the major form of drug addiction in the land. Alcohol is killing its millions. To seek to bear an effective witness to this drink-sodden generation while we ourselves indulge is, is akin to preaching to a drug addict while we use marijuana in moderation, of course. Number two, we abstain out of love for the brethren. Many people in our churches have been saved out of alcoholism. We take Paul's words very seriously. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine or anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Romans 14.21 We believe that Christians' indulgence in alcohol is very definitely a source of stumbling and offense to those whom the Lord has saved out of utter bondage to drink as well as to the many who are still enslaved by it. Three, Paul lays down the same rule. There are things that we may personally and narrowly uh, consider lawful to us but that are not expedient and are not for the edification of others. 1 Corinthians 10.23 let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth or welfare. Verse 24. That's a command. It is an ordained rule or standard. We believe it makes it incumbent on us, faced with the utterly incalculable devastation caused by alcohol, to separate ourselves totally from it unto the Lord. And it is unto the Lord that we do this. This is no bitter legalism. It is an expression of our love for the Lord, for His testimony, and for the welfare of others. God abstain or God commended abstainers. It has become popular for everyone from secular writers to Roman Catholics to some Calvinists to belittle and vigorously condemn those who take our position. That does not concern us in the slightest. When Jonadab, the son of Rechab, entered into a covenant to abstain from drinking wine and commanding it to his sons, he was not condemned by the Lord but commended. His sons were not mocked as a bunch of embondaged legalists but were held forth as a good example by the Lord. Jeremiah 35. We believe abstinence for the reasons we have cited still has his condemnation. By abstaining, we express our liberty, purity, testimony, and community. We enjoy life. We are not afraid to see the world in which we live as God's world to be used, though not abused. We rejoice in the truth of what is called common grace and can therefore happily receive all the relative good that has come to us through unsaved men is the provision of our loving God. Our standards are not standards of bondage, but expressions of our liberty, purity, testimony, and community because they tell the weakest saint among us that we care enough for him to banish even the possibility of our causing him to stumble. And could I just add to that that nowadays we have many alternatives to alcoholic drink. There's plenty of water and juices, teas, milk, coffees, and perhaps sodas. 
but um, I think that the message stands by itself a certain warning about the misuse and the abuse of, of wine and strong drink and uh, I certainly would pray that, that uh, God's people would consider abstinence prayerfully and uh, seek the Lord whether or not that would be for them and uh, for those who would consider communicant covenant membership with the free church well may the Lord bless I believe his word I tried to be fair I tried to be to, to look at both sides and trust the Lord will lead you to, to do what would please him and what would, would help you in your testimony in your life let's pray Lord thank you that the Bible has the answer and thank you so much for the the cautions, the dangers, the warnings as well, Lord, as the green lights and the blessings and the encouragements. Lord, I pray that we would receive help to not yield to temptation to indulge any good thing. Certainly, Lord, keep us from every evil thing. We pray that the Holy Spirit would fill us. We would never be under the control of any evil thing of any even of any good thing that would would become an idol to us well hear us Lord listening to messages like these would make us afraid even to begin to, to navigate in such a world of drunkenness and drugs and adultery and fornication and, and murder and, and Sabbath desecration on and on Lord help us to walk in the spirit lead us in the way of righteousness for your name's sake Lord Jesus please help us we know you were maligned as being a wine bibber Lord you were perfect you you were sinless Lord we are still prone to wander we pray that you would lead us take us by the hand that we would be faithful till death endure to the end and be good witnesses for you we pray this in your name Amen